0: Does your marriage look like this? You know this. Let me explain to you. I hope I can share with you. I want to paint a picture for you, and then I would love for you to answer that question. Does your marriage look like this? Now, we also get folks asking us. They are looking at their future spouses. They're in a dating premarital relationship, and they want to know what marriage looks like. Well, I have the same question for you. Does your marriage look like this? Now, you can add future marriage and and pray to God that it will, but this will give you an idea, a good goal that you can look toward, and and hopefully both of you can mutually agree and, and press toward this wonderful prize that we can have in marriage. Welcome to the podcast. I am Rick Thomas. You're listening to Your Daily Drive. Thank you so much for joining me for this podcast. Let's start it this way. A husband and wife are not just two people within the marriage. Now, I realize, true, they are independent relationships. They have an independent relationship with the Lord. They have an independent relationship with so many other people, but, and they are also one flesh, It's kind of like an analogy maybe to our blessed Trinity. There is perfect oneness in the Trinity that unites the three persons, but yet they are distinct as well. Does your marriage look like this? If you want to talk about this, this podcast, I would love to chat with you. Perhaps you would like to slow this down and read it in your own leisure or maybe read read it within your marriage, or if a couple of you couples got together at a coffee shop and just sat and talked about this article, you may find not only transforming to you individually and and as a couple, but also within this greater relationship. You want to spread this idea of one fleshness to other marriages because there is so much fracturing. There is so much disunity within couples and so I hope that this podcast will help you and the article on the website. There are embedded links inside the article as always. And as a little bonus, I got a couple of graphics here that you can look at too and use these to talk through them and to pray together and to map out a plan to change if if you need to change the title of the podcast. And the article is Does Your Marriage look like this in the type of relationship that I'm talking about. Being independent people and being perfectly one, it is both a mystery and a reality. And though we cannot fully understand what a a one-flesh union means, we can functionally and faithfully participate in a one-flesh marriage while enjoying the benefits— You don't have to understand it completely, and honestly, you never will. It's like sitting on a bar stool in your kitchen, sitting in a chair in your living room. You don't understand the molecular structure of how that chair is holding itself together but it doesn't mean you can't participate with that chair. You can't enjoy the benefits of, of sitting down. And so I realize there's a mystery here, but there is a reality, and I hope that that you will be able to enjoy the reality biblically and in, and in a satisfying way. I want to share with you a brief story. If This is a story that I made up. I shared it with Lucia when we were dating, and the purpose of the story and the reason that I shared it with her is that I wanted to give her a a view, or at least my perspective, of what our marriage—we were at that point, I had already popped the question, and I was trying we were talking through what marriage would look like and one of our conversations was this and i shared with her this story what i hoped our marriage would look like when we are at the end as we are getting ready to one of us is getting ready to meet jesus this is what i said to her and i'll just use it with my my favorite characters bilf and mabel they were not my friends back then but With the exception of that, the story is what I shared with Lucia. Biff is in his 70s now. He is sitting in his rocking chair in his living room. The fire in the fireplace is quietly burning. It is winter. The home is perfectly warm, though he is resting with a blanket draped over his lap, a quilt his wife made for him. He is looking through a big glass window that provides a fantastic view of their backyard. A couple of birds are hopping from barren limb to barren limb. There is snow on the ground. Mabel is in the kitchen. Without asking, she enters the living room where Biff is sitting. She brings him a cup of hot chocolate. She knew... That he was thinking about it, though he did not say it. She carefully hands the warm cup to him and stands behind Biff with one hand on his shoulder. They're both looking out the window now. Not a word has passed between them. It is not that they do not talk to each other. Biff and Mabel have filled their lives with decades of conversations. They love talking to each other. But sometimes there is an awareness that is deeper than words, a knowledge that is born out of a more in depth communion. At that moment in their living room, there was no need for words. Biff and Mabel were one. Biff sips his hot chocolate while they both enjoy God's creation. There is a warmth in their home that is more rewarding than a winter's fire. They are beautifully assimilated, united by a lifetime of memories that are silently passing between them. They have become what God intended them to be. They are one flesh. This was the story that I shared with Lucia before we, we got married, and I must say that I have bumbled this so many times and have totally messed it up. There have been fights and disappointments and tears and And a lot of laughter and a lot of humor and a lot of funness and a a lot of other things along the way, but I'm happy to report to you that we are on the journey and, and the goal is still in our minds and we hope that we will be beautifully assimilated, united by a lifetime of memories that are silently passing between us, that we have become what God intended us to be, that we are one flesh. This idea of one flesh comes from Genesis 2. You know it well. Then the man said, the man here is Adam, he said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Before two people make a one-flesh covenant agreement with God, there are two individuals belonging to different family units. Lucia was in the north, I was in the south of the United States. We belong to two different family units at some point. As I say, she got down here as soon as she could. She's a southern girl now. And after the first time that they met, they realized that being with each other is is worth leaving their respective families to set up their own unique, autonomous, domestic empire. They married each other, and they became a family. See, a family is not when a couple has children. That is not when you become a family, you become a family when you become a couple, when you are married. The first family unit was Adam and Eve. They later added children to their family. This newly formed family, they agreed they would honor, they would cherish, they would love, they would serve each other until death separated their one flesh union if you are married, you said that, you believed that, some version of that. If you're about to get married, you're going to say these things. At the beginning of any marital covenant, the couple, for the most part, are two different entities. Though they are one flesh under God and before the world, they are not yet able to enjoy all the benefits of one fleshness fully with time. With grace, much grace, emphasis on grace, community, and intentionality, it will be possible for them to mature into a God, husband, wife, harmonic union, one flesh. This concept is similar to our relationship with the Lord. After we are born again, we receive everything, Peter said in Second Peter, Everything that we need to be Christ-like, but the functional working out of our relationship with God into the fullness that God intends for us to enjoy, it takes time to benefit from all that we have in Christ fully, even though we are as complete in Christ as we can possibly be at the point of regeneration. True one fleshness is a lifelong journey. It does not happen all at once. From the couple's first introduction to their future separation at death, their lives should reveal an ever-unfolding incremental mystery as they navigate the contours of their lives together. I have talked about it like walking into a, a garden maze and as you walk into the garden maze, with each step and each turn, there is an unfolding beauty that was previously hidden. That's what marriage is like. The idea of living in a one-flesh marriage is like many petals on a flower that mature through time. It is an assimilation of mind, body, soul, spirit, emotions, wills, strengths, and weaknesses, and more. I want to give you a list of some of the goals that a young couple moves toward as they begin to mature into one-fleshness. Now you could start, I'm going to give you these one-word descriptors, but you can start each one-word descriptor with this little phrase, we are one in, we are one in desires. That is a one-flesh goal that every couple moves toward. We are one flesh in desires, we are one in our passions, one in affection for God. We are one in our plans. We are one in our parenting. We are one in our finances. We are one in our aspirations and our choices and our thoughts and our ideas, our words, our mannerisms, our relationships, our taste. We are one in our interpretations, forgiveness, friendships, confession, humor, hobbies. It doesn't mean that she's going to go out and play golf every day of her life. It doesn't mean that she's going to think your thoughts or, or finish your sentences, but she will know them. And if you're out, if your hobby is playing golf or woodworking or cross-stitching, whatever your hobby may be. It doesn't mean that your spouse is going to enjoy it equally, but you will enjoy it for the other person is what I'm talking about here with these one flesh descriptors. Friendships, confession, humor, hobbies, expectations, fun, intimacy, and you are one in flesh. You can think about this and actually you can use this list here. I would encourage you to go to our website, look for does your marriage look like this? And you can use this list as a way of assessing your own marriage with your spouse, and you talk about it. Are we one in our parenting? The two that really jumped off the page to me was parenting and finances. I see that so often. Sometimes you'll hear this this nonsense, actually, of his money, her money, in the sense that all the money is divided. It's not that she doesn't have discretionary money to spend, and he doesn't have discretionary money to spend, but it's all divided right down the middle or however they divide it, and that's so unfortunate. There is something wrong. You can see the fracturing in the one fleshness when we began to divide, draw lines between us, and so you can use these descriptors as, as a way to assess. It could be a wonderful opportunity for you uh, both to grow together and in Christ. A man and a woman are different in many ways, particularly as it pertains to their personalities, their strengths, their weaknesses, and gifts. To be one flesh does not mean that you are a carbon copy of each other, and that's what I've been saying here in the last few moments. It means all of their positives and their negatives and their strengths and their weaknesses blend into a unified, harmonic, God-centered, other-centered one. What Adam was missing... Eve supplied. What Eve was missing, Adam provided. Like gears perfectly meshing into each other to make the machine function at an optimal level, the husband and wife mesh into each other so they can present a God-glorifying symmetry. Being different does not have to displace unity Because of the grace of God, our differences within the one flesh union should create completeness and wholeness. You can think of it like Pac-Man, for those of you who are over 40 and remember Pac-Man. Pac-Man is like a circle with a missing piece, and the spouse comes in and it brings that completeness. They are different, but yet together they form one whole. Let me ask you, are you a flesh hater? Paul talked about the tearing away of the one flesh union. He said a person who does this hates his flesh. Strong language, right? You can apply his teaching to either spouse, man or a woman. When one spouse does anything to hurt the other spouse, there is hating of the one flesh union. Here's the text, 529 Ephesians. He who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Are you a flesh hater? Do you hate yourself? You do if you hate your spouse. From Paul's viewpoint, it made no sense for a spouse to hate the other spouse. You could illustrate this through the practice of cutting. You know what cutting is, where a person takes a sharp object like a razor or a knife and cuts their skin? It is common for many of our youth, particularly, to cut themselves. They use these sharp instruments to mutilate their bodies. They hate their flesh. Rather than seeing their bodies as a creation from the Lord, they devalue their bodies by mutilating it. When one's spouse is angry, unkind, unforgiving, critical, or any other sinful attitude or practice toward their spouse, it is a version of self-mutilation. The sinful spouse is defiling their one flesh. Mutilating the flesh is bizarre and immoral behavior by cutting, devaluing God's creation. I wonder how many spouses would be aghast toward cutters, Those who cut their flesh with razors, but do not see that they are doing their version of flesh cutting. Are you a cutter within the marriage, within your one flesh? Do you cut yourself by hating on your spouse? Have you ever cut your flesh? Have you cut your spouse today? That's another way of asking the question. What have you done to repair the lacerations that are in your flesh? I asked earlier, are you a flesh hater, which is what I've been talking about here, but let's turn it around. Are you a flesh lover? The mature Christian spouse understands the one flesh dynamic in the marriage and is daily taking care of their body. The encroachments of sin are ever-present. Okay, we understand that. We're fallen people living in a fallen world, but we are more than conquerors. The fact that the encroachments of sins are ever present, it only elevates a couple's scrutiny. Flesh lovers do not let sin cut away their one fleshness undealt with sin is the death knell to any marriage. Like sickness to the physical body, sin is a sickness as a metaphor in the marital union. Paul uses the language of nourishing and cherishing to expound on his point. To nourish is to grow, and to cherish is to warm. This concept is Is not all a couple can do for each other, nourish and cherish, but it does convey two proactive essentials that every marriage needs to grow and to nourish. There is a real and measurable difference between two people who genuinely enjoy each other and two people who do not have that gravitational pull that should be drawing them toward each other. You see this in virtually any context where a couple is out about whatever you may be doing. You'll see two couples, and you can just tell. You can just tell if they have this affection. There is a warming, there is a growing, and a nourishing effect to them. And you can also see the opposite, two people who they just don't have it. I mean, the worst version of this is a man and a wife at a restaurant, and they're looking at their phones. Mature one fleshness leaves a feeling of satisfaction when the spouses think about their relationship. When she thinks of him, she smiles. When he thinks of her, he, he feels a, a, a genuine warmth in his own soul because he loves his wife. It, and perhaps some of you are so far from this that you can't even relate to what I'm talking about. Go back, try to go back to when you were dating you couldn't not you couldn't keep yourself from thinking about each other, and when you saw each other, you just smiled. You just warmed when you saw each other. Well, we don't get there like my story of Bill and Mabel. And in, in the beginning, this is a process that we gradually, incrementally work through. But we can enjoy the benefits now. It's not that the journey is over, or that that this couple they they have all that they need with each other to be complete. It is similar to the way that we think about our relationship with Christ. We're not all that we should be, all that we can be, but there are quiet confidence and internal rest that is ours because we are heading in the right direction. Now perhaps your marriage is already feeling the warmth and the nourishing of each other. Well, you still know that you're not fully there yet, you're enjoying it today, but it gets better as each day goes by. And then there's others that is so broken and divisive now that you you need to do radical surgery to bring your one flesh back together again. With that in mind, let me ask you a couple of grow questions to grow, to nourish, and a couple of warm questions to cherish. Here are some grow questions. Ask your spouse how you are making him or How are you making her to grow, to mature? The grow question. Ask your spouse, how am I motivating you, encouraging you, discipling you? And it doesn't matter, husband or wife, how am I causing you to grow? Here's another one. How do you need to change so that you can be a more effective grower of your spouse? Some spouses have a deteriorating effect on the other spouse. When you just get around them, you begin to shrivel up. You become a lesser version of what you should be. You're not growing at all, but you are regressing. That's not what we should be doing within our relationship. Here's two two warm questions. Does your spouse experience the warmth of Christ when he or she is around you? How is Christ manifested in your life? Are you radiating Christ is what I'm asking. Here's another one. What do you radiate towards your spouse? How would your spouse answer this question? Will you ask? Will you ask your spouse? You've answered answered it yourself with the first question. Does your spouse experience the warmth of Christ when he or she is around you? But now the second question is you go and ask your spouse. What do they feel when they are around you? The podcast is titled, Does Your Marriage Look Like This? I I would love for you to spend just a few moments here to assess where you are right now in your marriage. You can do that. You and your spouse began a process of coming together when you first met. That process is ongoing until you die. You have gone from being strangers, Lucia lived in the north, I lived in the south, to evolving into an image that looks like Christ in and his church. What has that process looked like for you? If you are, are a journaler, would you journal out the answer to that question? Would you talk about it to your spouse? You know if you can't talk about this with your spouse, you have a problem. You do. If you cannot sit down and have this conversation with your spouse, your marriage, it, I'm not saying it's unbiblical. But it's definitely sub-biblical if you can't talk to your spouse for whatever reason about this. You and your spouse begin a process of coming together when you first met. The process is ongoing until you die. You have gone from being strangers to evolving into an image that looks like Christ and his church. The question is... What has that process looked like for you? Number two, are you satisfied with the progress that you have made? And then number three, what red flags do you have about the direction in which you are heading? If you're not satisfied, it is because sin has come between you and your spouse. That is the reason sin is the divider. Typically, most, if not all, couples become married, and they have a weak understanding of the doctrine of sin, the teaching of sin, what sin does to us, and they do not plan for sin or factor their sinfulness into their marriage. It's similar to never factoring in the possibility of debt. Imagine just coming together and just spending, 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 and never thinking about debt. Well, you will be in trouble quickly. Imagine coming together as a a couple and just doing what you do, sinning, 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 sinning. Well, eventually, that is going to blow back on you, and the accumulative trauma from undealt with sin will not just fracture your marriage, but it can kill it. I think most couples realize sin will be part of their marriage, but they do not know what to do when it happens. They have no sin plan. They have no plan to deal with the sinfulness that is in their lives, and rather than fixing their dust-ups, many couples learn how to coexist. Their one-flesh assimilation process stops or it slows to a crawl. You remember, they were strangers, they saw each other for the first time, and there was a process, there was a gravitational pull toward each other that brought them to the marriage altar. They got married, and they were continuing to pull into each other, and then after living with each other for a while... The gravitational pull was weakened. Sometimes it's broken completely. And then they are like two silos that are standing side by side but never truly interacting. The assimilation process stops or slows to a crawl. This hardship does not have to happen to you. The first step is to own your role in what went wrong in the relationship. This step is crucial, but missed too often. One of the worst things you could ever do in your marriage is to begin your restorative efforts by blaming the other person. If you want a restored marriage, start by assessing yourself. Now, if both spouses are mature enough to do this, the marriage will begin to redirect toward one fleshness. It's almost like repentance. It's almost like you're going another direction again. Now you're gravitationally pulling into each other because of mutual repentance. Now, if both spouses are not willing to take their souls to task by speaking honestly and transparently about the personal harm that they have brought to each other, remember, you are assessing yourself. The log is in your eye and you are transparently and honestly speaking about the personal harm that you have brought to each other, the division between them will never go away if you cannot have these conversations. Let me illustrate with our physical bodies. If part of my body were sick, with no chance of healing, my whole body would be sick because I am one flesh. And I would never be able to enjoy the full benefits of physical wholeness. This news would be hard for many spouses to hear, but I must say it, here's the bad news. Because you already intuited this, you already know this. If one spouse is not willing to fully and humbly own their sinful contributions to the marriage, the marriage will never be able to enjoy the full benefits of one flesh wholeness. I know that's hard news. It'd be hard for it'd be hard for many of you to hear it right now. But it would be better to know this truth now than to be forever hoping of something better while being disappointed daily because one spouse is not willing to come clean about their sinful participation in the marriage. At least you know what you have, and you're not living in a false hope. This kind of false hope will lead to all types of problems, which will only bring more evil to marriage. If you are the only one willing to work on your relationship, I appeal to you to find help today. This journey is not a task to be done alone. If your spouse does not help you, find those who will. We should include your church. But if that's not an option, you're welcome to come to us. We would love to talk to you. Thanks for listening. Does your marriage look like this?